night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is social entrepreneur Zway Kwok, author of Calm Clarity, How to Use Science to Rewire Your Brain for Greater Wisdom, Fulfillment, and Joy. Zway Kwok, a Harvard and Wharton alumni and author of Poor and Traumatized at Harvard, shares her innovative program to show readers how to deal with toxic stress and adversity, overcoming the long-term effects of poverty and trauma by turning to neuroscience and meditation. She leads leaders through her inspirational and emotional journey from escaping Vietnam as a refugee to her difficult childhood in inner city Philadelphia and feelings of isolation at one of our most prestigious universities to her creation of the Calm Clarity Program. She demonstrates how she discovered established ways to rewire her own brain to transcend toxic, isolating environments. Her clients include U of Penn, NYU, Ernst & Young, Vanguard, and Merck, and many more. Welcome to the show's way. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and to talk to the social worker with a microphone. Yes. Here's your social worker with a microphone, and you're the one who's going to tell us how we can rewire our brain so that we can respond to toxic toxicity, I guess, in our environment in a positive way so that we can have rewire our brain to be mentally healthy, feeling calm. Um, and you've undergone, a, obviously, a lot of trauma in your life. So we start with some of those traumas, and probably, obviously that's what motivated you to write this book, I would assume. Yes. Well, I mean, one of the challenges of experiencing so much trauma is because the body then stores all these memories of, of dangerous, life-threatening situations and tries to avoid getting ourselves back into those situations. So then we create a number of self-limiting patterns and belief systems um, in order to try to stay safe, but unfortunately, many of us become prisoners of these these um, self-limiting um, beliefs and patterns, and unless we question them, unless we try to break them, we will never live to our fullest potential. And give us an example. I would very give us, yeah, give, I want to give us, give us an example very specifically, in, I mean, of the traumas that I mentioned earlier when I was introducing you, like how did you do, how does this work? Uh, in sure. Terms of, I mean, yeah, go ahead. So you want an example of a trauma or you want an example of breaking the trauma? Both. Start with one of your traumas and how you broke the trauma, how you did, as you say, you were able to turn to science and meditation to be able to do this. But yeah, take one of your trauma, one of your major traumas. Yeah. So when my family was escaping from Vietnam, I was only a baby. And unfortunately, um, they went through many situations where they thought they were being rescued or they thought they were being helped, but they were actually being taken advantage of. And so that really seared into my parents' memories that, like, we're not really safe and we can't trust tra- strangers and that we are victims, right? So when we were, like, escaping by boat, um, we were supposed, we thought we were being rescued by a Malaysian Navy vessel, but... and. Um, instead, it turned out as the Navy vessel welcomed all these the women and children on the boat, they ended up raping the women and then returned them to the boat and then robbed everyone at gunpoint. And after that, they took the boat's um, compass and uh, told us to just, um, when we asked where do we go to get the, to go to the refugee camp, they just pointed in some direction and left us there 
to die possibly they didn't care right and that was extremely traumatic for my parents um and i think i for instance may have internalized that even though i was just a baby so growing up in philadelphia my parents had a hard time asking for help they had a hard time um putting themselves in a vulnerable position because they didn't know if that meant that they were going to be taken advantage of and so that right. permeated your growing up, your growing up, your family. That's that was your family dynamic or your family narrative or whatever you want to call it. So you don't ask people for help, uh, and that and you incorporated that, which I guess isolates you, doesn't it? Emotionally, maybe even physically, when you feel that way, you have to just handle everything on your own. Yes, or you don't expose your weakness to the world. Right. And so as I went through college, I experienced a lot of culture shock and anything that reinforced that story would force me to shut down. For instance, where I was Harvard, one of my closest friends there, her mother visited and um, told her daughter that I was low class and she was wasting her time by spending so much um, of her free time with me that she should be focusing on building friendships and relationships with people from good families. And and for me, that was like, you know, the story my parents told me, you can't really trust people to respect you for who you are. They're going to judge you. They're going to take advantage of you. Um, They might humiliate you or shame you, you know, these stories. And, And after that, I had a really hard time making friends at Harvard. After that, I became very self protective and I didn't want to share my story and I didn't want to be vulnerable and I didn't want to give anybody ammunition to use against me. But I have to ask you here, you, at some point, I mean, you're in high school and you got into Harvard and that's, mm-hmm. a, so you had to do some, I, I want to backtrack a little. So how, I mean, you can't do that by totally isolating yourself. There had to have been some mechanism. Obviously you're very smart, but what were some of the other characteristics? Because not only did you go to Harvard and then experience or re-experience these same kinds of feelings of not trusting people, but then you get an MBA from Wharton. So this kind of like, a disconnect, or it feels like it. How well, it's more you, like a yeah. life journey, right? So at Harvard yeah. was when all my patterns were, were revealed to me, the limits of where I could go. When I was in high school, I was fortunate to go to a magnet school, and two thirds of the students were from low income backgrounds and were experiencing similar levels of violence and trauma, and we became a social support system for each other. And it, we, were, we spent so much time together that we really built a sense of trust, right? And there was a, um, a sense of camaraderie that the school created for us. There was a, it wasn't necessarily a completely safe environment because it was also very competitive as a magnet school. But I think the students really understood the, the importance of emotional support, and we really banded together. When I went to Harvard, that was completely gone. <laughs> like, um, and I'd never been exposed to an upper-class, affluent environment. I didn't go to private school. I didn't go to boarding school. I had no idea how people interacted. I was not culturally fluent. Um, people talked about topics that I didn't understand and seemed to be shocked when I couldn't follow the conversation or I asked innocent questions. And so um, I think it was because I went from a place of strength and comfort and knowledge to a place where I was kind of alienated and I didn't feel like I belonged in the first place. And so when I talk about um, the brain, I talk about um, three different emotional states. So in Brain 1.0, 
um, our fight or flight system is strongly activated and it makes us go into self-preservation mode. When we're in brain two point now, our reward system Let's, is strongly I want to stick with activated. brain one. I, I want to just stick with brain one because it really helps if you give examples of that, like real, you know, real life examples. What does that mean in terms of 1.0 focused on self-preservation? Give me an example, a real life example. Sure. So like when I, I'm in the inner, inner city and I know people carrying guns around, I am much more street smart and I'm much more careful about um, um, my interactions with people, knowing that, you know, if you, um, you know, your, your life could be in danger if you upset someone with a gun, <laughs> right? right. Um, um, and then, or, or when I'm, like, mad because I feel like someone's treating me unfairly, um, I can go into brain 1.0, and it's a fight-or-flight response, and I, I could be the one who gets the amygdala hijack and, and starts to lash out on other people, which has happened. Um, so brain 1.0 is a state where um, our inner Godzilla takes over. We want to either smash things or withdraw completely and disappear. Um, so so it's, a, it's, it's a challenge for people who are living in, communities where there is a lot of violence because your inner Godzilla could become your dominant state. So it's an all or nothing um, kind of reaction? It's, it's a, it, there's sort of nothing in between? It's, as you say, it's that uh, flight or fight? Well, this is where you feel was, threatened and so you just you react, not rationally, but out of fear. So it depends on your connection to brain 3.0. So, so I was going to say that brain 2.0 is when the dopamine system, the reward circuits are overactivated and you feel such strong urges and impulses that you feel like you have to pursue them. You don't have control. You want immediate gratification. It's a state where you give so much power to the things that you're chasing to give you happiness. And um, you, if you don't get those things, you're in a state of agitation and anxiety. So people can say, like, addicts are in a state of bring 2.0. People who are obsessed with making a lot of money, who are addicted to achievement, who are addicted to food, who are addicted to substances, all of that is working on the dopamine system. Um, so and a lot of say, times I'm going to interrupt people, you, that our society are really it seems to me where most of us are, uh, uh, many of us are at brain 2.0, as you're describing it, wanting exactly. more money, wanting a better job, you know, addictions, whether it's drugs or alcohol or food. Seems to me as a society, as a culture, we're kind of stuck at brain 2.0. Exactly. And a lot of people go to brain 2.0 to escape feelings of being in brain 1.0. We don't like being in brain 1.0, so we go into brain 2.0 to escape it, right? So we don't like feeling bad, so we may eat entire cake, things like that. And, and so then there's this higher brain, what I call brain 3.0. It's when um, your prefrontal cortex and all the neural pathways that connect into brain 1.0 and brain 2.0 can calm them so that you can maintain a state of, of having a bigger picture view you can connect to your core values. You can embody your core values and aspirations. You can see a bigger picture, and you can have a positive impact on people, even in negative, dire situations, right? And so it's the interplay of these three brain states, right, that help a person, um, um, that determines whether a person is able to master their minds or be prisoners of their minds. 
So, for, so back to my examples of trauma. Um, so you can have a, a situation trigger you and your inner Godzilla starts to hijack you. But if you have also developed Brain 3.0, you can recover. You have a, a sense of resilience and you can recover the ability to see the bigger picture and realize that these triggers are impacting you. You're reliving past um, a past experience of fear that may not actually apply to the current situation, right? And so when I listened to my parents tell their story, I had to keep reminding myself that was then. That was the boat journey, but today is different. Today doesn't have to be like yesterday. And in high school, my parents would always tell me, like, your dreams are too ambitious, they're too crazy, you need to focus on being practical, maybe be a pharmacist, you make enough money as a pharmacist, you'll have a good life. And I said, well, I don't want your fears to control what I become. I want, you know, I have the gifts to do more than that. And I spent my life, you know, working, my childhood working for my parents in their takeout restaurant, looking at life through a takeout restaurant window, right? And I didn't want to trade up to a bigger pharmacy window. I wanted to get out of that type of situation and see the world. And so when you're asking about how did I uh, manage through high school, I think I was lucky I had that social support system from my friends in high school who had very similar issues and challenges with their parents and um, in that environment, I was I I had strengths to play out um, at school, and um, I was I knew my situation, and I had a sense of even though it was very dangerous, I had a sense of um, familiarity, and I knew what was in my control and what was not in my control, so I didn't have to spend that much time in Brain 1.0. Now, How did when you I got figure that Harvard, out though as a kid? Well, let's sticking a little bit still to high school. Like, how did you? figure that out at, at, you know, a fairly young age. I mean, that's a pretty sophisticated way of kind of analyzing the situation, really realizing, hey, I don't want to be in the mental state or position that my parents were. That's, that's their position that was then and this is now, because that's not easy to do. I mean, was there an aha moment or it was just sort of a gradual awareness? Hmm, I think... I mean, I spent a lot of time looking out of the world through the takeout window and um, seeing the patterns of our customers and and the emotional um, challenges that they brought with them. I saw people come into the store and bring 2.0, um, wanting to trade their food stamps to buy cigarettes. And, and of course, I couldn't do that for them. And... Um, People who should have been buying bait, like food for their babies were instead doing other things with their money. And so it made me think a lot about life when you're witness to so many horrible things that happen in the world and you, under, you want to ask yourself, why does this happen? Why do good people end up like this? The kids that I grew up with um, ended up becoming drug dealers and going to jail. Some were shot. And so it makes you ask these big questions like, you know, at some point we were very similar. How did our paths diverge? And I realized like some people, my cousin, for instance, would go into Brain 1.0 and he would be filled with so much anger and hatred. And, um, and, and some people would go into Brain 2.0 and want to drink or take drugs to escape and numb the pain. And, um, but you, you have to face the situation. You have to find a solution. You have to find a way out. And so for me, um, I think that, that ability to reflect 
and, and think about the broader patterns, you know, help me grow Brain 3.0 and not get sucked into the day-to-day drama and conflicts and issues that were part of my daily life. And now you're in calm clarity, right? Well, I try. <laughs> you try. And I assume that most of the time you are that calm clarity, self-awareness and clarity. How do we do it? How do we uh, as consumers, of course, we have to read your book, but uh, how can we accomplish that? Is it easy to do? Is it something that that takes a lot of time? Um, describe it to us, how we get to th- brain 3.0. And we become resilient, sure. actually. You're talking about building resiliency. Yeah, it's building your emotional immune system so you don't have to be bogged down by the negativity that surrounds you. Right, you can become a force of positivity, genuine positivity, not just this um, very perky Stafford wife type of positivity, right? And that you can see, you know, even in the midst of adversity, there's something that you can do to make a positive impact on the situation. And so the, the way the brain works, the way you direct neuroplasticity, it's not as hard as people think, but it's not easy because you have to do it consistently, regularly over time to really rewire your brain. These neural patterns that you have formed as your default state that you've been activating your entire life, they don't disappear. So when you're trying to rewire your brain, the old pathways are still very strong, and it takes a long time before the new pathways you're trying to strengthen um, can substitute for the old pathways. Let's take some examples. Let's take some examples in our everyday life where we're trying to do this, where our reactions have become, you know, maybe we've, we've, sometimes we focus on self-preservation, sometimes that instant gratification, but we now want to, want to react to situations with a calm clarity. Um, give us some examples of that, how, how we do that and, and what we have to do, the, the stuff that happens to us all the time. Sure. Um, so one of the most important things to do is realize, you know, your, your autonomic nervous system can shift between sympathetic mode and parasympathetic mode. So sympathetic mode is, is when you're aroused by stress, you can start to enter a fight or flight state. And parasympathetic mode is to rest and digest and relaxation system. And so these systems have to try to balance each other out or else if you go into full fight or flight mode, there is no blood flow. Like it reduces the blood flow going to your higher brain to brain 3.0. And so when you start to notice that there's, there are biological uh, feedback signals and, and mental feedback signals that let you know brain 1.0 and brain 2.0 are starting to take over. For instance, um, when your inner Godzilla starts to say things inside your head, like, this sucks, I hate this person, or, like, why does this have to happen? You start to hear those voices, you know, like, oh, my God, brain 1.0 is being activated. Or in brain 2.0, you're like, why can't this be any faster? Like, how can I get what I want now? <laughs> you know, like, why is this taking so long, <laughs> right? And, and why don't I just get more of what I want, right? And you start to hear that voice. You're like, oh, my God, like, I'm, I notice I'm going to be, I'm in brain 2.0. And with both of these states, there's a lot more tension in the body. Your heart starts racing. Your arms might clench. Um, You may become more restless. You want to do something. Or if you're in a severe state, extreme state of brain 1.0, you might become depressed and lose your energy and not want to do anything. 
And How about so, when you're, let's, um, I'm going to put an example. Okay, that's, that's explains it really well. But let's put it into a situation. You're married or you, you have two kids, you have a job, your boss calls you in and says, you know, uh, I think you haven't, your work hasn't really been living up to what we expected of you. And I think we're going to have to let you go. Reaction? Okay. So, yeah. so again, <clears throat> what we tell people is depending on which state is the strongest, that's the initial voice you're going to hear in your head. So if you're in Marine 1.0 and, and your, your tendency is to feel a lot of fear, like, oh, my God, how can I, like, take care of my family? Like, and you can start to panic. Be like, I screwed this up. I never do anything right. And you start to hear that voice. And then in Brain 2.0, you might want to get revenge. Like, I'll show you. I'll get an even better job. You know, like, you guys don't deserve me, you know, or, like, I'm just going to go to the bar and drink. Like, I don't need to feel this right now. And and then you can tune in and create space and try to listen to what Brain 3.0, what I call the inner sage, may say to you. And And maybe the voice will say, you know what, this job wasn't a great fit for you. You know, you weren't happy at this job. You've, your boss didn't support you, you didn't really like your team, maybe this is an opportunity to find a job that's a much better fit for you and, um, and, and you need it to spend more time with your kids or with your parents if they're aging or you know, there was something else that's taking priority in your life right now, so maybe this is a blessing in disguise and this gives you the opportunity to do something that really matters to you. Right? What's the, and if, yeah, if you live, and what's... What's the difference between that and, and, say, rationalizing, you know, or being, as you said, a step, not a Stepford wife in this case, but, you know, kind of Pollyanna-ish, like, is there a way to stand because up for yourself? Because you're realistic yeah. uh-huh. about feeling the negative feelings, too. So you can say, this doesn't feel good. You know, this, this is hard and this is difficult. And you acknowledge, like, all the, like, the feelings of regret or grief or fear or embarrassment or shame. But then you also tell yourself, but that's okay. You don't need to deny these feelings, to suppress them or reject them. You feel them, you let them arise and you let them pass away. But you also realize, like, maybe this is a sign for me that, you know, it's time to grow and, 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 and you know, get to a new stage of life, to open a new chapter instead of fighting what's happening, but embrace it as a chance to move towards something that really matters to you. And I think going back to what you were saying, all these kinds of things happen to us every day in our lives. Some, you know, minor things and some really important things like the possibility of losing a job. But what you're saying is if you constantly become aware and react in the way brain 3.0, your brain actually begins to respond in a 3.0 sort of more sp- because the brain is the plasticity of the brain and and so your initial reaction becomes that rather than a 1.0 or a 2.0 is that what you're saying yeah so what we're saying is the the 1.0 and a 2.0 can still get triggered and we accept that they'll be triggered because those circuits are so strong the important thing is to then redirect that energy in your brain to brain 3.0 neural pathways. So you hear that voice too. And it can take time because it takes effort to activate those circuits. So you have to create mental space. Like you might have to take deep breathing, do some deep breathing to activate that parasympathetic nervous system and restore the blood flow to brain 3.0 before you can hear the voice of your inner sage. 
right? And a lot of people, they act so fast that they never create the space to hear their inner sage to activate those brain 3.0 circuits. And so if you don't use it, it never grows. And what we say to people is you have to set an intention to to wait until you activate those circuits and you'll naturally see a bigger picture and an alternative that, you know, um, could change how your biofeedback signals work. So just as I walked you through what the inner Godzilla said, what the inner team will say, um, those voices, you know, the biofeedback in your body is that you create even more tension, your heart might race even more. But as you listen to the inner sage and you act on the guidance of your inner sage, the biofeedback signals come back into homeostasis. So you start to have a slower heart rate and you become more open and you can still feel a sense of compassion for yourself and and even your your former boss or, or colleagues because you realize that they're also in a tough situation. All right, and now we have to oh, we have to say goodbye. We actually only have another minute left. So the title of your book is Calm Clarity, which is what we've been talking about today. How to use science to rewire your brain for greater wisdom, fulfillment, and joy. To find out more about the book and the author's way, Quok, you can go to what what website can we go to? Um, calmclarity.org. So we have information on the book and the programs we do and the social impact initiatives in order to share this program, not only with elite professionals, but also with people in low-income communities. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was really great talking with you. Great. Yeah. Great talking to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. News. 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 News.
Can you hear me? Hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is author and Iranian immigrant Marina Shakur Haber, author of Dream a Better Dream, Change Your Mind to Save the World. America was once the land of opportunity and optimism. Immigrants came here dreaming of success and happiness, and this dream was actually attainable. But today, things are different. The American dream is falling out of reach, especially for minorities. Our once optimistic and hopeful society has become toxic and negative with increasing levels of divisiveness, racism, bigotry, misogyny, and isolationism. Uh, Marina's inspirational memoir is a unique take on self-help and social activism, offering personal self-help strategies as a tool to transform the social problems in America. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Marina. Thank you for having me, Catherine. Well, that's a big task, a tool that your book and uh, to uh, transform the social problems in America. How can we do that? Uh, and, you know, I... The introduction, I think, kind of says it all in terms of where we are as right now in our country, which is not a good place to be. But you've had the experience of being an immigrant, an Iranian immigrant. And, uh, you know, immigration is obviously it's in the news. So talk to us about your experience. And you're talking about dream a better dream. You were able to do that. But it seems that not many people did today, you know, today, right now, are able to do that. So how do we transform these this particular these social problems in America, so that people um, can dream a better dream and attain their success and happiness here in the United here in America. Well, that's a loaded question today. I was, so, there are several uh, questions. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's packed. So let's start with the American dream. The American dream is really there for the few at this point. Some have enormous financial, wonderful American dreams, financial successes. Then there come the middle class and the poor, and and those people, of course, have a very hard time to attain their American dream. Many people have to work two or three jobs, rely on, on public housing, on Medicaid, to, to have at least something, while others don't know what to do with their money. So I have found that when I looked at history, whenever inequality became so vast that something had to give, either uh, there's a revolution or there's a war. There's always an uprising to end this state of inequality. At this point in America, I think people, if they were to start looking at that, especially the rich, and would invest again in America, in American future, that is in its people, in its youth, and also in its country, in its social structure, infrastructure, and, and the environment itself, that we could make a great change and set, 
set the clock maybe back to the way to when our forefathers had uh, the, the, the envisioned this country to be. So it was not uh, uh, for everybody for themselves, but that we should work with one another together to make this a great country. I think. Well, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because I want to. Well, I want to go back to your own experience because you had a different experience. Yeah. It was a good experience. You grew up, or you were born in Iran. I guess you left when you were about eight years old, or you were young, um, and your parents exactly. took you to. Germany, you went to Paris, you were educated in Paris and Vancouver, Canada, and then came to the United States in 1987. And you have been successful in business and and, in many things that you've you've, uh, done here in the United States. Um, So do you think your experience maybe is somewhat different than some of the people who are coming here today you were well I don't want to put words in your mouth so tell us your experience but it seems to me you were well educated you had the support of your family you weren't poor necessarily you were you know you there were certain no okay so right let's talk yeah let's talk about your experience first we left Iran my mother was very psychic and she she had just had this intuition that Iran would, at one day, the uh, uh, Shah's regime would fall. And it did. It took many years. But at the same token, she didn't want us to grow up as, um, as Iranians because she wanted us more Europeanized or Westernized, meaning that we would have an education. We would be self-reliant. She was Dutch, so that was more, you know, her, her, her upbringing. So she wanted us to be more westernized. And so we moved to Germany, and we went to school there, and then I went to Paris to go to college in Paris. And at that point, we realized suddenly that we were practically homeless because we couldn't go back to Iran anymore. We were not really Iranians. We were not Germans. We couldn't... Um, live in Germany because there was no immigration. And so the only option was to find a country that would accept us, and it was Canada. My mother uh, preferred Canada because she had read one too many inside detectives, and there was too much crime for her in America. Funny thing is, three of her four children ended up in America afterwards. Not surprising, but yeah. yeah, and then I was offered a position here in, in New York, and I jumped at it, and I went by myself, and I started my career, and then I married and started my own business. So I worked very hard, and the possibilities were definitely here in America. They were great. But I believe that things have gone south somewhat. What business were you in and how were you able to become successful at it? I mean, obviously, I keep going back to the fact that you were well-educated, so that's a real plus. Um, so you, you, when you came... definitely a yeah. real plus, yes. Mm-hmm. I started a, um, a nurse agency business in New York and New Jersey. We supplied nurses to hospitals uh, in both states, per diem nurses. And then I also went into the home care business, providing aids to elderly patients in their homes. And yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. And then once so, you so did that, was yeah. my business. And yeah. then a few years ago, things had changed, 
and I closed the business because it was no longer successful. And as heartbroken as I was, I just realized that there must be a message there for me and I need to do something different. At that point, I started thinking about writing a book and when uh, Mr. Trump was elected to become president of the United States, I decided that this was my calling because I, I am not, I'm not happy with the negativity and the divisiveness of our country. And so I felt I, I needed to express my opinion about it and offer, hopefully, alternatives in how we can work together. Not that opposition is bad. Opposition is excellent. In opposition and through opposition, we grow. But it cannot be hostile. So I, my point is that I would like to change our tone and I would like to change our negative state of mind to, pos- to a positive one. Now, you're a natural, are you a naturalized uh, citizen? Yes. American I have citizen. actually uh, three citizenships, the Iranian, which I can never lose, the Canadian, and then uh, the American. Now, my next question, Marina, is you go around, you're, you are an author, obviously, but you're also a public speaker. So I assume you're going around to different groups, uh, a variety of different groups, uh, speaking to them about what we're talking about on the show today. What's the response, given this climate of, of Mr. Trump's presidency, uh, when you speak to groups? And what groups do you speak, whom do you, who do you speak to? I have been speaking to schools and smaller groups and churches and uh, smaller clubs. I, so I'm, I'm, it's, a very, uh, it's a more intimate setting when I speak to them. And people generally, whether they are pro or against Trump, there is a, there is a level of despair, I think, and, and unhappiness about the way we are going. And I think that's pretty much... The, the desire of people to have a greater America, of a more unified America, an America that still has the visions of the way it had been in, when it was uh, born, when it came into being. And I think that we are all striving for that, not that we all agree on how we're getting there, but the end goal is that we all should be happier, which is truly something that is not unique to America, but it is everybody around the world. The most basic thing that we really all want is happiness and security. We want to be secure, safe, and happy. But our goal, I'm going to stop you there because I agree. I think that's true. People want to have be with their families and go about their business and do their work and be with their children and be happy. I think that's true. But how we get there may, as you say, we may have different paths. But I think where yes. where we have gotten lost is, and, and you've touched on this, we need discourse. We need disagreement. That's a good thing. But there's no civility in it anymore. And that... Right. We need civility in the discourse. We need to be able to talk to one another in a in a civil way, and then you'll be able to accomplish yeah. things and hear the other person and make changes. Um, but I think that's one of the keys that we've just completely um, lo- just it doesn't exist. You know, it exists very little now in our in our discourse. Yes, and and that is. 
Senator McCain was the one, and which is I by so adored that who could who could work with both sides and was willing to work with both sides and chose to be friends with with people across the, the aisle. And that is something that's really an, a wonderful idea and something that we should learn. I see it, for example, when we are, when one engages on social media, the, the many people respond in a way that is so utterly hostile and so vicious that you ask yourself, what happened to free speech? Why is only the vicious speech permitted? And the other speech seems to be prohibited. At least it, I felt that way because I stopped and I said, I'm not engaging in further hostilities because it's to no avail. I'm not coming across. I can't make my point. So I let it be. Is it right? Are we giving hostility the upper hand? Probably. But at some point, the more one engages in hostility, the more hostility comes out. So sometimes maybe it is best to take a deep breath and to let that particular one go and still proceed on our personal path of doing what we believe is best for the greater good of all. I I think that's true and not constantly responding to this divisiveness, divisiveness, this all of this yeah. this anger and, and actually just taking another path. And you gave an example of John McCain looking to people like that um, and 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 seeing how they have uh, accomplished what they've accomplished, being able to engage with pe- all different kinds of people and, and be able to accomplish things and, and sort of let the... Uh, so I don't think you're... It's sort of like you can't be constantly responding to this anger and this viciousness because then you just get embroiled in that kind of a battle. You kind of let it go and take another path, which is like, which is what you're doing with your book and also with your public speaking. Right. It's, I think we need to put... We need to... The, the way change happens is by changing our, shifting our individual consciousness. We need to change our thoughts. We need to start understanding that our thoughts may not be what our hearts are all about. Our thoughts are very often separate and often negative. So observe your thoughts and without judgment, and then if you realize that they are negative and they're hostile because they've been so influenced by the hostility and negativity of the environment, of the atmosphere, let go, release, and then replace it with positive thoughts, with your vision, your, your intention, your goal, and then act as if become that, be it. And so that way we shift our own consciousness, which will in return influence and shift collective consciousness. And I think it is not a quick fix, but it is a fix definitely that will work. It didn't, it didn't work overnight that we became so divisive. It, it took some time for us to get here. Equally, it will take time to turn it around, but it can be turned around if the few that are feeling that this this is not the right approach, that they live the other approach, become the more compassionate and positive approach. 
One of the things that we have to look at the context, we have to look our context, and I think you mentioned this in the beginning, is very different now. I mean, we have more of a, you know, there's a big gap between the very wealthy and the very poor and the middle class has been shrinking and that's that's that is the way it it is economically so that's an issue that we have to deal with and I think that's obviously some of the reasons why we've gotten our why we are where we are because because of that Uh, not that I know how to solve (laughs) solve that problem but um, so the context is going to be different, like you mentioned, like we want to go back to the way it was when immigrants first came to this country. I don't think you can ever, you can never go back. You always have to go forward. I think you can learn from the past, but I don't think you're you never going to... learn from the past, definitely, yeah. yes. But it's a different and, world. And what yeah. I'm trying to say, though, is that we should take our inspiration from the past. There was the American system has been set up on a beautiful ideology of this equality, of this pursuit, the right to pursue your happiness, of fairness. And yet, over time, of course, with everything, things change and certain things are forgotten and left behind. And so have been some of our wonderful ideals of this country. So what I'm trying to say is that Today, the corporations seem to have become individuals. They have greater power than, than a person. And the corporations seem to be the ones that are running this country's direction. Whatever is best for them may, if they poison our environment, if they poison our waterways, and if they are putting fossil fuels, pumping it into the air, It is all permissible because it is best for them. But that is a short-sighted decision and a short-sighted view because tomorrow will come and tomorrow we will all be standing there, them included. And we have no, no earth left. We have poisoned ourselves. We have frankly committed suicide. Where is the gain in that? We have to start thinking, as I call it, positively selfish. This does not work in the long run for none of us, not for the individual, not for the greater good of all. What about leaders, since you're going, since you talk to a lot of people and you're engaged with a lot of people with this kind of a dialogue, young, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, but young leaders, is, are there, is there that kind of leadership, uh, you know, Young people, and, and I, when I say young, I don't even mean that young, but not in their 70s and 80s, but people in their 50s and uh, even early 60s. Do we have that kind of leadership? Are we growing those kinds of people? And, and where are they? That's, that's just it. What we need to do, you've hit precisely on that point. We need to grow our young leadership. And that starts back again with investing in our in our future into our children, our youth. Right now, what we're doing is it's almost penalizing them. When they go to college, they come out, they are so indebted that there's very little thought that can go into the future of anybody else but just paying off what they owe and just making ends meet. And whenever a society is 
runs around just making ends meet, it cannot think of ideals or of improving things for others. It just comes the survival of the individual. So what I am seeing is that we need to change our attitude towards education. We have to educate more. And I have seen, I have heard that NYU, for example, they have realized that and they are now offering tuition, free tuition, to create a new group of, of educate a new group of people, young people, to become doctors in specialties that may not be very lucrative in the long run. If that is added on top of huge uh, uh, college payments, tuition payments, nobody will select to take those, but they are needed. So we need to help our youth to create our youth and give them possibilities so they can become tomorrow's leaders. So what you're saying is we're wasting a lot of, we're wasting a lot of our talent and intellect and those people who could become doctors or lawyers or professors because they can't afford to do it. And so they get lost yes. be- just because of the economics. And so it, it, yes. uh, that, yeah. It's a pity. And I'm, it's a NYU, shame. I don't it's think is shame. the only school who's doing it. There are a lot of colleges around the, and universities around the country who are beginning to, to do as you, what you described to help them. So and that, that not, is yeah. so important because, again, we have to we have to educate and raise new leadership because they have to be the ones to take the torch and run with it. But if we leave them uneducated and poor and and hateful, what are we doing to our future? Not much good. No, we we have. And I am going to give you a heads up for this one. We do have just a few more minutes left. So I want yes. to, uh, I know you have a website, dreamabetterdreamnow.com. Um, is that the exactly. website we should go to for more information about what you're doing as well as right. about the book? Yes, uh, it's the, you can order the book on it. There is a free download. And I'm right now working on creating an online course and a life coaching, so that will come up probably in in a couple of months, but that's in the works right now. And your life coaching is going to be online or in... It will be online, yes. And how long is the course? Or is it... I'm still working on it, so (laughs) I'm I'm still... uh, have to... I'm, I'm not sure, but it's going to be on course, and I'm also offering life coaching in person, so that is all going to be set up very soon. So when you say in person, where are you in New York, or where are you? Because obviously if it's in I'm person... I'm in Florida. I'm in Florida, but today everything can be done through uh, either video chatting or, or the telephone, and I've started in Florida to, to do it in person, but... I would like to make that uh, a larger group, obviously. And your course is going to be uh, really, I guess, an outgrowth of, of this book, right? I assume um, the yes. dialogue. Yeah, yes. it's going to be similar to what we have been talking about on the show today. So I want right. to, yeah, it's Dream a Better Dream, Marina Shakor Haber. And you can get the book online, bookstores everywhere. You can download it, which is what I seem to do now and read my books on my iPad. But um, 
it's been great talking to you today. Thank you, Catherine. Same here. I really appreciate this. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 